365 days a year. I'm Guy Rivera, your guy in the mortgage industry. It's time to pay attention. Come on, people. Think about it. Welcome to Mortgage Matters. Mortgage industry is not rocket science. Your guide to the information you can use to choose the best answers to your real estate financing questions. If that loan agent tells you that, get up and run away. Now, here's your host on State and Islay. Your guy in the mortgage industry, Guy Rivera. Good afternoon. Guy Rivera is not with us today. My name is Deborah Schwartz, land use planner and planning commissioner with the city of Santa Barbara. Guest hosting in for Guy Rivera, Mortgage Matters. He is your guy in the mortgage business. And today we have a very special guest in studio with us. It is renowned architect Brian Kernal. Welcome, Brian. Thank you, Deborah. Uh, let's just start right at the beginning, Brian. Tell us how you came to choose architecture as a profession. Well, you know, I always loved to draw and build things when I was a kid. And my father, who was an attorney, um, down in Ventura County, actually had me take a series of aptitude tests down in L.A., an organization called the Johnson O'Connell Institute. And it was it was really kind of fun because you have no idea what these tests mean. You're doing everything from reading vocabulary tests to putting together squiggly blocks. And you go back a week later after they've evaluated you all on the premise, by the way, that their intent was to find that one thing that you naturally did best. And I hadn't even sat down and they said architecture. And I said, well, I want to be an airline pilot. <laughs> and they said, no, you'd hate that. You got to do architecture or city planning. Wow, and yeah. so mm -hmm. when it came to applying to schools, mm -hmm. I applied only to architecture schools. Mm -hmm. Spent my first year at Colorado because I wanted to ski, I think, more than do architecture. And then I transferred to Cal Poly and finished up Great. there. Well, we're fortunate to have you land in California and Santa Barbara. Thank you. Uh, and um, let's go right to your firm, Kernal Collective. I know that you and your firm have been centrally involved in a number of a multi-unit rental housing development projects in the city. And so my first question to you is looking back on the most recently permitted projects, what do you think the key learnings are uh, for our listeners today in terms of financial viability uh, in considering these types of projects? Well, look, I, I will tell you that it, it's um, these projects are very tough to make work because one, you've got very high land costs here in Santa Barbara and you have a very challenging um, a, a approval process that takes a lot of time. So if somebody is going to try to develop any sort of a multifamily project in town, first they've got to be able to secure the land, which is not cheap, and then they've got to have the holding power to go through four, sometimes four years of approval process before uh, it can get approved. And so it's, uh, it's certainly not for the faint or weak of, of mind. Um, and then, of course, the costs of construction over these last few years has been skyrocketing. It is, it is really somewhat out of control. So what you do you have, think are the contributing factors to that? I've been hearing a lot about that, Brian. Well, I think that it's, I think it's you know, the usual demand. I mean, there's mm -hmm. high demand. There's a lot of activity right now. And, 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 you know, the Montecito debris flow didn't help that at all. Um, you have a limited 
array of subs here. You know, we are a little bit isolated here on this little piece of, of south-facing coast. And subs in the trades, subs contractors. In the trade. That's and right. So related. I think, and, and, you know, just as we all know, housing costs are expensive. Therefore, labor costs are expensive and everything just sort of ratchets up. I was talking to a developer, a longtime developer friend of mine who who said that, you know, he was recently looking at a project in Paso Robles and, you know, a fully entitled project that would have cost half what he spends to build a project down here. Um, so it, so it's, it's tough um, to, to have the financial wherewithal to be able to sustain long enough to where you actually have a project that is built. Because the four years I mentioned could be the approval process, and then you still need another 18 months to build. And all of that gets factored into our uh, housing crisis that we've been talking so much about and the need for more rental housing. Um, So this further complicates the proposition, whether someone owns the land outright or is looking to be an investor developer. Well, sure. And, you know, the problem is we already have a a very limited supply of housing. And, of course, the question that people will ask is, if we build more housing, is it going to ever affect the cost of that housing? And and I honestly don't know the answer to that. One would suspect that supply and demand would have an effect. I happen to believe that if you are able to bring nice new units online in the community to some reasonable number, say it's 200 a unit, I mean a year or something like that, then the the stuff at the bottom of the market is bound to be affected. It, you know, landlords or, or um, slumlords, if you'll pardon the expression, are going to be able to get less money for what they had traditionally got because the supply will not be as limited. Mm-hmm. But again, I don't, we don't know. We don't know because we're not building that many units ultimately. Right. Uh, what what key recommendations might you have, Brian, for those who are considering undertaking these types of uh, projects? Well, as I said, what would you, be the starter you, list. You better, would you, say? you better be tough, and you you better you know have the staying power to hold on through a long what could be a contentious a- approval process. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's not something you can do quickly and it's not something that you're going to do cheaply. It's, it's, it's a long-term effort. And I think for most of the developers that I know who are doing these projects, it's not the case hundred percent, but many of them are building these properties to have for a long period of time. You know, it's interesting. Some of the recent projects that we're doing are being built on leased land as opposed to for, you know, purchased land. Yeah, tell us a little bit more about that leased versus purchased. Well, I think in, you know, for for a number of people, um, you know, if they can if they can get a project built and lease it for 50 years, they see that as being a viable investment and because they're not buying the land, because they're leasing the land, then those upfront costs are less. And it helps make for a, a more, you know, viable project in the long run. And obviously for the landowners, it makes sense because in 50 years they've got a completed project that's free and clear. You know, there have been um, discussion and some assertions, assumptions made about a percentage of uh, local property owners, investors versus out of area. Do you have a sense of what that mix is on these multi-unit rental housing projects? 
Um, I don't. I, I can tell you that most of our projects are by local developers, um, but we are working um, with uh, the same developer that did the Californian Hotel, Michael Rosenfeld, and, and he's very interested in doing more f- for rent housing projects in, in Santa Barbara. And uh, for him, we're doing the project next to the Paradise there um, at Anacapa Ana, Ana and Ortega. We call it Anatega for some reason. Um, so, uh, but I think I think they are mostly local, really, who are trying to you know create these units, and that's that's a good thing. You know, for the most part, there are people who are knowledgeable too about the process. Great. Uh, we're going to be taking a commercial break, but stay with us. We're going to get right back uh, to you with special guest architect Brian Cornell. Hi, and welcome to Animal Zone. I'm Arthur von Wiesenberger, and this handsome fellow is Mikey, my adopted pit bull. Animal Zone is the A to Z on everything about adoptable pets. Whether you're looking for a bird, a cat, a dog, or even a tortoise, we've got experts who can share their knowledge and insights. So cuddle up with your favorite critter and join us as we explore the Animal Zone. If you want to see more about Animal Zone and other things, check out our website, animalzone.org. Hi, I'm Annette Jorgensen from American Riviera Bank. As a preferred SBA lender, small business lending is alive and well at American Riviera Bank. With local decisions, fast responses, and an understanding of the local, commercial, and residential real estate markets, we offer you free consulting services as you work to grow your small business. If you need a loan, bank on us. Call me and schedule your free business consultation today, 805-979-3846. When it's time to clean your carpets, you should know that some carpet cleaners can leave harmful toxins in your home or office. That's why Wallace Cleaning Company created the four-step cleaning process that uses state-of-the-art equipment and environmentally safe, non-toxic solutions to clean your carpets with your satisfaction guaranteed and your safety in mind. Since 1979, Wallace Cleaning Company has been the Santa Barbara area's premier choice for quick, quiet, efficient, and safe carpet cleaning that dries in two hours or less. When it's time to clean your carpets at home or office, it's time to call a name you can trust at a price you can afford. It's time to call 967-1860 to talk to the pros at Wallace Cleaning Company, where no job is too big or too small. Wallace Cleaning Company, 967 1860. Learn more about the affordable four-step cleaning process that cleans your carpets with your safety in mind. This is Deborah Schwartz, guest host, Mortgage Matters, sitting in for Guy Rivera, your guy in the mortgage business. A couple of great testimonials first from some of Guy's clients. Richard says, Guy was a man of action getting our VA loan approved right to the finish line within three days to spare. John said when it was time to refinance his home, he reached out to Guy Rivera, who's taken care of him for almost two decades. Great testimonials. And also want to appreciate the key sponsors today, American Riviera Bank with Jeff Devine and Joanne Finari as executives, and Tremblay Financial Services, an independent investment firm owned by Tim Tremblay. We are back now with guest architect Brian Kernall. Uh, Brian, wanted to uh, ask you to talk to our listeners a bit about 
development, again, rent, rental housing development, inside what's called the Central Business District, or CBD, versus outside. Tell us about what the financials look like. I'm not sure that uh, the community is well-versed in the cost differentials there. Well, uh, you know, backing up a little bit, you know, the city uh, approved, as you know, Deborah, this AUD overlay ordinance, which allowed for higher densities in certain parts of the city. And when all of that was being discussed, in fact, it was the local chapter of the AIA that encouraged a new form of zoning that would allow for more density and less parking. And so this ordinance, in essence, says that a unit requires only one parking space and um, and the density is is relatively high. It's 63 units to the acre. Um, but that's not allowed in the downtown. Uh, and the reason it's not in the downtown is really simply because at the time the city uh, council was was thinking about this ordinance and where these units would go, I think there was a lot of uh, trepidation about the historic nature of downtown and that they just didn't want to go there. And so they, they left what we actually affectionately call the donut hole, which is they left the downtown core in a lower density. Um, the irony of that is that true sustainability for any any community is about having a small footprint in more ways than one. And that particularly applies to your housing in your downtown. So the place that we should be putting this higher density is right smack dab in the downtown of Santa Barbara. And we're not. And so you have a situation in downtown where that is the most expensive land. And yet it allows some of the least dense uh, kind of housing solutions. Uh, consequently, no one's going to even attempt to do housing in that downtown core, which is exactly where we need it to go. Um, the city has been discussing, again, as you know, Deborah, because you've been intimately involved, discussing the idea of increasing that density in the downtown. The AIA did a a really fantastic charrette about a year and a half ago exploring those possibilities. For whatever reason, the city has not acted on that. I'm confident that they will eventually, um, and and then we'll see. It'll depend a lot um, on, on what happens then to land costs and whether projects are proposed. Do you see the infusion or allowing more residential downtown as uh, an integral part of the revitalization that also has uh, gotten a lot of attention recently? Absolutely essential. Mm -hmm. You are never going to make this city a vital place to live until you have people, more people living in and around the downtown. We're long past the days when people would drive downtown and park in the parking structures to go shop. It, it's that, that day is gone. And so we need to, to reinvigorate the downtown with people living there, working and living in the downtown. And, you know, Santa Barbara has always traditionally had our east side, our west side that are close into downtown, and it helps that we do have that housing. But we need, we need a lot more to ensure that viability. Right. Now, I understand that next month uh, a consulting firm uh, that the city hired will be providing a report on uh, some recommendations pertaining to revitalizing downtown. What do you personally anticipate hearing or would like to hear uh, during that presentation that you think would be the right mix of changes well, or enhancements to what we need downtown? I mean, I uh, bottom line is that there's no one single 
fix. There's no one silver bullet. There, it's a it's a plethora of actions that the city has to take. And I think that certainly number one on my list is more housing, encourage housing in in a very big way in the downtown. Number two, um, I, I think then there is a there's there's arts programs, there's there's city-sponsored programs that would, you know, encourage activities in downtown. A lot of little projects like fixing the State Street underpass so it's an attractive place to walk. Some of the things we came up in our charrette were, were districts where we, you know, we have the theater district, we have the art district, we have the bar district, we have the, the um, you know, the lower, you know, State Street areas, um, that would do a lot. But it's, it's, it's 12 or 15 or 20 different things that we have to constantly be vigilant about relative to ensuring a vital downtown. Mm-hmm. And how do you see your firm, uh, Colonel Collective's, role in that if there is a role well, certainly we've been actively involved just as individuals um, in in a lot of these discussions. Our office has been in the 500 block of State Street for close to 30 years. Uh, so we're completely invested in the downtown and um, just absolutely believe the answer is housing, more housing. And, and we desperately need it. Of your projects, uh, Brian, the Canal Collective projects. In recent years, which would you say you're the most proud of and why? Well, I've been doing this, Deborah, for it'll be 36 years in September. Um, and so I've got a lot that we are proud of. But, you know, I, I will say our housing projects, a couple stand out. Um, one, the, the workforce housing that we did for Cottage Hospital up at the St. Francis campus. Mm-hmm. It was a very uh, contentious public review process. The neighbors did not want that project to go in. They wanted the hospital and to remain. And when it was all said and done, you know, it took from the time I started designing that project with Cottage to the time the first residents moved in was over 10 years. Um, but to see... Speaking of a life cycle yeah, of, to, from start to finish. But to mm-hmm. see cottage employees who got to buy a place in Santa Barbara and how much it means to That's them. That's all for sale up there, right, Brian? It is all for sale. And 80% are, are affordable to cottage employees. So that's that, I think, has been a tremendous success. And I, you know, I... I feel that it really fits in with the neighborhood. It, it, it feels like it was meant to be there. Um, another one is at, a, at a, another extreme, the El Carrillo, which is a housing project we did for the housing authority probably about 10 years ago. Um, and that's amazingly satisfying as well because these are people, first-time homeless or, or first-time off homelessness sort of a situation for many of these people. These are small little units. We actually had to get the ordinance amended to allow for units to be as small as these are. They're about 230 square feet. But they provide a place for people to live, and that's what the key to so many of our social problems are is just a roof over people's Head so mm-hmm. part of the housing know. first model. I think that's coming. That's absolutely right. Yeah, out of yeah, from a federal level. Right. That's. But then I also have to say that, um, you know, I suffered a, a bout of bladder cancer several years ago and completely cured. But I was cured because of cancer center, and we did the cancer center 
project um, that was recently completed, and that's something I'm very proud of. It's very of. meaningful, I very mean, both meaningful. from an architecture but also in a personal. That's right. They personal, saved my life. Yes, yes. That's a, oh, that's a real resource in the community, yeah. and I know it's greatly, greatly admired. Um, since we're, we're all striving for what's being called affordable, although I'm um, more reluctant than ever to actually even use the word affordable because I think that it not only means – so much. The definitions are so varied for folks, and, and it, can be, um, it can be used either sort of in support or, or against various policies that we're trying to amend or even enact. We're striving for rentals that across the income level um, are more comfortable, whether it's spending 30 percent of one's income or, unfortunately, in California, the average is higher than that. What steps would you say our city could take if you were to partner with or they were to bring you in um, to look at reducing costs for applicants, uh, perhaps changing some of the processes or practices? What would that look like um, in your vision? Well, first I want to say that to, to really get to that level of affordability, it's going to take a lot of a lot of effort on a lot of people's parts, and, and the city is a key player in that. Um, you know, I, I mentioned what Cottage did up at St. Francis. It seems to me that I, you know, I would like, to, before we talk about the regulatory process, I'd love mm -hmm. to see the city, who's a big employer here in the, in the city, do their own workforce housing project and put their money where their mouth is and try to build, actually help build some housing. They should also be extremely supportive, which I think they are for the most part of the housing authority and encourage them to build as many affordable units as possible because that's what they do. That's what their charge is. Um, I, I think that the, the process to get a building permit is extremely cumbersome. And the city can do a lot in that regard. Um, it, it is a mammoth undertaking that they've got to be committed to 100%. Um, but if they could half the amount of time that it takes people to get entitled, that would make a significant difference um, in terms of getting units online and making them more affordable. We're going to come back shortly after a commercial break. We're here in studio with special guest architect Brian Curnell. You're invited to dine indoors or on the secluded garden patio, the sunny patio, or the covered creekside patio with fireplace at Pierre Lafon's Montecito Wine Bistro, where you'll enjoy the popular pizzas and many other dishes from the wood-burning oven, daily specials from Chef Victor, and selections from the elevated wine menu featuring Lafon and Santa Barbara Winery Wines. Open daily at 11 for lunch, wine, cocktails, dinner, incredible desserts, and a daily happy hour from 3 to 6 with very unique appetizers in the Plaza del Sol, Montecito Village. Bargain Market. Buys overstocks and closeouts with bulk buying power. These savings are passed on to you. Unbelievable prices on current name brand products. Inventory changes, so stop in frequently. Many items, 50 to 75% off. The local wine prices will amaze you. The organic food selection is huge. On Upper De La Vina, convenient and plenty of parking. Bargain Market. For over 35 years, Lucas and the Wellens Estate 
grown sustainable vineyards have grown the grapes that produce some of the finest wines in Santa Barbara County. Enjoy the remarkable wines of Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, Cabernet, Malbec, and Viognier. The Lucas and the Welland Wine Club offers generous discounts to members, as well as fabulous wine country events. Experience the bounty of Santa Barbara County's wine region and become part of the Lucas and the Welland family. Visit our beautiful tasting room located at 1645 Copenhagen Drive in Solvang, California. Hi, I'm Scott Johnson. And I'm Ross Cope. For AM 1290's weekly golf radio show. Tune in every week when you might hear us say good things about the FedEx Cup. Um, no. Or suggest that the game of golf needs more rules. Eh, I don't think so. Or invent new products that make the game easier, like Velcro golf gloves. Actually, that's not a bad idea. So tune in every week to get your golf fix right here on News Press Radio, AM 1290. This is Deborah Schwartz, Land Use Planner, City Planning Commissioner, guest hosting for Guy Rivera, Mortgage Matters, your guy in the mortgage business. Uh, Again, a couple of quotes from Guy's appreciative clients. Raina says uh, that he was fast, efficient, and helpful. Eric commented that Guy did a phenomenal job, excellent service, and a great rate. Again, Guy Rivera, your guy in the mortgage business. We are back with architect Brian Kernal. Uh, We're going to continue on with our discussion regarding how the city uh, can improve or expand its partnership with development applicants. And Brian, I'd like to ask you to help us understand what you think the city could do uh, to further educate applicants so that they can be better prepared in submitting applications, especially for this multi-unit rental uh, housing sector. Well, you know, answering that, I kind of have to go back in history a little bit because, you know, Santa Barbara, after all, has been rooted in the notion of, of controls for ever since I've been here. I mean, when when I first came to town in 1980, uh, you know, there was, there was still the discussions of the population limit of 85,000. We were still using water as a as a controlling element for growth, and you know, I'll be be candid with you. A lot of people still come up to me and say, "What the hell's going on? Don't we still have a water problem? Why aren't we, you know, controlling growth?" Well, it's it's there's a million answers, I suppose, to that question, and it's a tough one. But I think we we fundamentally have created this this uh, review process in the city that is intended to be very difficult. It's intended to knock people down and knock the size of projects down and make them work or fit into the city of Santa Barbara. And I think it's become a little bit habitual to where now the city, it's just that's that's what it is. So people who end up on boards and commissions in, in large part think that part of their role is to either uh, obfuscate or, or – um, uh, eliminate units or do whatever. So part of the culture, the process it culture. It's, it's, it's a, so it's a there's a little bit of a cultural problem, and I think I think the way that the city helps is one uh, having a, a a means by which they identify projects that they would like to see built. And and you know we haven't done a very good job from a planning standpoint of of deciding where things really should go. For example, I talked about this 63 unit to the acre density that they kind of put across blocks in the city. Well, 
you know, one block is not the same as another block. You take the you take the uh, the the 200 block of of, of Ortega, uh, East Ortega, and it's a very different place than the 300 block of of West Anapamu. And yet that is the same density provision in the city. So I think the city could do a better job in, in really identifying where they want to see the housing go and encouraging it. So are you talking, Brian, about a more nuanced or refined look now? In, in a way, I several am. Several years into the yeah, AUD I mean, program? I, I could see us really, you know, one of the things I often complain about is that our planners aren't planning. They're merely reacting. And I'd love to see the planning department do more planning. And and that could literally be through the through the help of, of schools like Cal Poly uh, or the UCSB Geography Department or whatever, we really go block by block and say, you know, this really isn't a block where, where three stories and, and 45 feet should go. Or conversely, this is a block where we ought to allow buildings to go to 60 feet and we ought to maximize the units because they're downtown. I mentioned our project at the corner of Anacapa and Ortega. To me, a perfect place where we should have housing across from city parking right there, close into to State Street, a great location, and it, and it works. So I think that the city identifies those sites and, and really partnered with developers who are interested in doing it and then really help them streamline, which means you get to the review boards early, you get to a consensus early on a design, you don't nitpick it. Uh, you say, does this meet the standard or not? And don't, you know, have too many architects designing too many of their own little details into the project. So there's a lot, a lot of things that could be done. And I think ultimately the city really needs to sort of assign a person, an ombudsman sort of a, of, of a concept where that is what they're there for is to help create housing units and are in touch with all of the people in the development community who might do that and, and get these housing units because we desperately need them. It, we, we can't get away from the fact that our, our, the highways into and out of Santa Barbara are clogged every single day because our housing is too expensive. And, and that is just not the sustainable way a community like this should live. And so to me, if we embrace the sustainability concepts, at, at the same time as we are encouraging this development, we'll end up with the right kind of development, which is going to make the community more vital in the long run. Do you think a new charrette is needed to look at the mapping of multi-unit housing development? Again, as I said, in more of a, a nuanced or refined way, a revisit? I think it could be. I mean, I, I could totally see us you know, getting you know, like we did before. We had 75-plus architect and landscape types uh, that were in the charrette and that, you, you know, you take groups of four or five or six and they walk, they're, they're assigned a block and they really look at it and, and really say, yes, some taller mass could go here, but here it should be kept down. Now, that could be argued that it's spot zoning or that you're giving one, one property an un, undue advantage over the other, but I would argue, well, that's the way it always is. I mean, you always have zone lines, you always have differences in, 
in allowed densities, and so it's time to do that. You know, there was an article, this is a little bit off topic, but it's interesting in terms of zoning, an article in the New York Times recently about how Minneapolis has decided to do away with their single-family zoning completely and just across the board allow multi-units multi in single-family zones. Yeah, I think in, I saw that article as well. It's gotten, I think it went viral. <laughs> yeah, in, in order to encourage more housing in and around their downtown. So... That would be a, a significant shift in zoning, yeah, is to and, move away from single family entirely, and yeah, and uh, it or would to transition out. It would freak a lot of people out, and and you know, back to the the point here about the city and what can they do. The city's in a tough situation because just as much as there may be people like myself who are advocating for more housing. There's plenty of people who say this has always been the way Santa Barbara has been. We've always had limited housing opportunities. It's always been expensive. It's never going to change. Get over it. Live with it, right? Um, yeah, I have a hard time. That's, that's like not doing anything isn't an option mm -hmm. to me. Um, how are we going to find our way, Brian, to common ground on this? You know that's a key passion of mine. Uh, as a planning commissioner and with my clients in the private land use uh, consulting area, is there a way for us as a community to find common ground on s in some of these areas of tension and disagreement, longstanding or or even renewed well, area of I, values I'm, disagreement? You know, I'm a firm believer that communication solves 90% of the problems. So, yeah, we've got to communicate and, and we're going to have disagreements about things. But, uh, you know, certain, certain people who are prominent in, in this discussion who really don't want to see much development, you know, I always encourage them to uh, go look for housing in our city and see what you find. And then maybe it'll change your opinion about what we should be doing. We're going to take another commercial break, but please stay with us. Mortgage Matters. We'll be right back with guest Brian Kernal. Hi, I'm Annette Jorgensen from American Riviera Bank. As a preferred SBA lender, small business lending is alive and well at American Riviera Bank. With local decisions, fast responses, and an understanding of the local commercial and residential real estate markets, we offer you free consulting services as you work to grow your small business. If you need a loan, bank on us. Call me and schedule your free business consultation today, 805-979-3846. Community Alert, a positive preparation for disaster. It's designed to keep you informed about how to be prepared, not if, but when disaster strikes. Community Alert is heard Tuesdays at 11 a.m. and 9 p.m. and Saturdays at 1 p.m. on AM 1290, the Santa Barbara News Press radio station. Community Alert, not if, but when disaster strikes.
This is the place that talks about Santa Barbara. Baron Ron Heron in the AM 1290 News Center. Ben Hayes in the AM 1290 News Center. Don Kadich. Donnie Risden. I'm Joe Danley. Tom Totten. Chuck McPartland. Jerry Wilson. Ernestine Ignacio DeSoto. I'm Ed Giron. I'm Maria Long. I'm Mark Schneidman. Hello, I'm Diane Duva. My name's Andy Caldwell. I am Eric Assault. And I'm Scott Johnson. And I'm Ross Cope. I'm Mike Williams. I'm Ted Adams. I'm Guy Rivera. I'm Michael Self. I'm Steve Forcell. I'm Jim Williams. I'm Mark McIntyre. I'm Steve Cushman. I'm Eloy Ortega. I'm Rob Eganoff. I'm Earl Armstrong. I'm Neil Chrysell. I'm Martha Von Wiesenberger. I'm Martha Bull. I am your host, Jeremiah. I'm Jim Trotter. I'm Peter Olmos. I'm Elizabeth Stewart. Hi, I'm Chris Cullen. I'm Lisa Cullen. And I'm Leanna Finley. I'm John Hennigan. I'm Ronaldo Brutico. I'm Mark Giles. John Martinet. I'm Richard Dugan. KZSB, AM 1290, the Santa Barbara News Press Radio Station. And we're back. This is Deborah Schwartz, guest host, Mortgage Matters, sitting in for Guy Rivera, your guy in the mortgage business. We're back with guest architect Brian Kernell. We haven't touched on the Sears building and that potential for redevelopment, Brian. And you probably know what occurred at the city council recently in terms of initial conversations and negotiations. What are your thoughts about multi-unit rental housing in redeveloping the Sears property? Well, this is an area, this whole uh, portion of Upper State Street that La Cumbre Plaza was given this overlay of 63 units to the acre. So if you take the whatever the Sears parcel is, I don't remember exactly what the acreage is, but it's 10 acres or, I mean, it's a big, big parcel. I think it would allow 550 or more units in in that neighborhood. Now that just, you know, that obviously freaks people out. But to me, it's, gosh, what an opportunity to create an anchor up in the Upper State Street region where you really are creating a, a real you know, secondary downtown, if you will, a neighborhood, a village, almost. a village, yeah, exactly. A village. Um, and and if done correctly in concert with Lacumbra Plaza, and you have you have ample shopping opportunities, you suddenly have that many housing units that are walking distance to all the services they could possibly need. You know, the problem with Upper State Street forever has been traffic. Um, because it's been kind of a destination location for retail use. And so suddenly you've got people living there. I mean, it's to me, it's exciting. And the city ought to be doing everything it can to encourage the right kind of sustainable development there that can really be a model for, for many communities. Probably with that scale, that's, for us, maybe a once-in-a-lifetime um, potential in Santa Barbara's to see that scale of the number oh, yeah, of units. Absolutely. And, you know, since we're talking about in the Lacumbra area, I mean, the mark, I have to bring up that because that was sort of the the real uh, linchpin, if you will, of this AUD discussion. And it's kind of unfortunate. I believe that it was the first one out of the box because it was it was very aggressive and it was in kind of a location people didn't expect. And, and they ended up renting the units for really high prices. And so that became, that sort of set the tone and I think created a lot of the disruption, if you will, in the whole process. Um, that said, though, it's, it's leased and they're people living there that work in our South Coast. So, um, you know, it's not such a terrible thing after all, I think, when people probably look at that. So um, more units up in the in the Sears, replacing Sears is, is, is an obvious need that we need to embrace. 
we've been talking locally, uh, but let's also now turn to Sacramento. I mean, we're integrally linked with Sacramento, with the governor's a new budget goals, uh, budget allocation, and the legislature. So I wanted to get your take on some of the new recent housing legislation that has been enacted uh, and that's affecting local regulations and yeah, I mean it's it's been, been amazing. I mean, first off is the is the basically the um, ADU, um, which is really a phenomenal idea. You know, the 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 uh, brother of. And let's uh, tell folks what ADU stands so it's for. A, a, um, accessory, accessory dwelling, dwelling unit, as opposed to as opposed to AUD average unit density. That's right, as as uh, Nick Welsh says. Got a says, lot of he, acronyms. He gets dyslexic. Alphabet soup in the planning. <laughs> thinking about arena, all of those yeah. things. Um, but um, the the Senate passed this rule that basically based on the fact that, gosh, we've got 850,000 residential units in the state. If we can get everybody to build a small unit on their property, we'll all of a sudden get, go a long ways towards solving the housing crisis in the state of California. But they are very involved and very active in encouraging more housing units and more density and more affordable housing. So they've got a number of laws that are that are out there that specifically if a developer does a certain percentage of low income units, uh, then they get sort of a free pass. There's certain there's laws, SB 35, that really eliminates the discretionary review process if you're doing a certain percentage of affordability. Um, and there's other Senate bills and assembly bills that are that are forcing the issue. And and the you know the state is also taking action against cities who are restricting housing and limiting them. Um, the state has established these uh, regional numbers for growth that they expect communities to live up to. And if and in the past, if you didn't, there were really no consequences. And now they're starting to put teeth into those rules and having consequences result. And I think that's going to wake cities up, like cities like Santa Barbara, to realize we've got to do something here because if we don't, the city, I mean, the state is going to take over and we're going to have no local control. And, and I don't think anybody in Santa Barbara wants that. Um, but uh, it's, it's a clear and um, very bright light that the state has shown on this issue, and they're, they're going to keep pushing. So for accessory dwelling units, uh, ADUs, what many may not know is that we're now upwards of 400, I think, applications, um, many of them permitted in the city of Santa Barbara ever since just a couple of years ago, the new ADU laws uh, were enacted. And uh, I'd like to hear your thoughts, but I haven't heard much hue and cry uh, about these smaller units being tucked into uh, properties, backyards, side yards, et cetera, throughout the city of Santa Barbara. And yet look at the numbers. It's we amazing. just mentioned perhaps 550 rental units going in at Sears just by zoning right. And here we have across the whole city um, these these nestled in smaller units that from state law have been um, permitted or allowed. Uh, but now we're moving forward with that. And that is an increase in density, but it seems like it's a balanced increase in density that is not for all intents and purposes, adversely affecting neighborhoods' quality of life. Well, I think the really good thing there is the the legislatures that pushed for this um, realize that 
people are going who are homeowners are going to be responsible with their land. They're not going to put an eyesore right next to their home. They're going to want something that blends in. There's going to they're going to want something that works for them and their lifestyle. They're going to be respectful of their neighbors. I'm sure there's exceptions to that, but to me it was kind of a brilliant concept because it's it it is working. Like you said, there has not been a hue and cry. Maybe a few examples, but suddenly You've got a little cottage that's built built in the backyard, and by golly, it's working, and it's providing that extra housing unit, whether it be for a mother-in-law or a child or a, an employee or whatever it is. So, I I think it's brilliant, and it's kind of back to the the notion of making State Street vital. Frankly, there again, there's no single pill. There's no single answer. It needs to be across the board. And I'd like to, we were talking about this a little at the break, I'd like to see us do more about making sure that we're still building for sale housing as well for, you know, young people who decide to start a family in Santa Barbara and they decide they want to live here. For them to be able to find those housing opportunities is critical. Now, what's been, um, speaking of for sale, Brian, what's been your experience? What are you hearing from clients, investors, as to why uh, they are not as inclined right now to invest in for sale, let's say, condos here in Santa Barbara. I get asked often whether there are any new condo projects coming online as opposed to rentals. Uh, and certainly I, I think under the a, AUD yeah. program, it allows for for sale. I think there's a lot more pressure in the mortgage lending industry, uh, putting more severe limitations on condos. There's the terrible liability. You know, as an architect, I can tell you, I guarantee you I'm going to be sued after nine years if I do a condo project. I just got sued on the project we did next to the public market, the Alma del Pueblo. And why is that? Uh, they don't, it doesn't matter Litigation the, the, versus the why. The they, they, throw the, they, they, they throw everything they can against the wall and hope that something sticks, and ultimately my insurance company will cough up a couple of hundred thousand dollars, and the attorney will get 30% of that, and that's what it is. Well, let's come back to for sale when we return. We're going to go to a commercial break now. For over 35 years, Lucas and Llewellyn's estate-grown sustainable vineyards have grown the grapes that produce some of the finest wines in Santa Barbara County. Enjoy the remarkable wines of Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, Cabernet, Malbec, and Viognier. The Lucas and Llewellyn Wine Club offers generous discounts to members, as well as fabulous wine country events. Experience the bounty of Santa Barbara County's wine region and become part of the Lucas and Llewellyn family. Visit our beautiful tasting room, located at 1645 Copenhagen Drive in Solvang, California. Visit us on the web at llwine.com. Come on, people. Think about it. It's time to pay attention. Mortgage industry is not rocket science. Your guide to the information you can use to choose the best answers to your real estate financing questions. Join me Tuesdays at 2 p.m., 10 p.m., and Sundays at noon. Your guy in the mortgage industry, Guy Rivera. Tune in to 1290 AM, Santa Barbara News Press Radio Station. For 16 years on State and Islay. I'm Guy Rivera, your guy in the mortgage industry. The Foundation for Santa Barbara City College is a nonprofit organization which supports our own Santa Barbara City College. The Foundation for Santa Barbara City College, or SBCC, funds scholarships, child care, book grants, and other programs. Without these, many students simply would not be able to attend college. 
There is an amazing range of academic and vocational studies offered at City College which encourage students to find their passion and their talents. As a donor to the Foundation, you have the power to change lives. Please help our community college by donating to the Foundation for SBCC. Call 730-4401 or visit us at sbccfoundation.org to find out how you can help. That's 730-4401 or sbccfoundation.org. This is Deborah Schwartz, guest host in For Guy Rivera, your guy in the mortgage business. We're back on Mortgage Matters here with guest architect Brian Kernall. And just before the break, we were talking about for sale versus for rent uh, housing. And Brian, you were revealing some fascinating, troubling statistics uh, in terms of the lawsuits that are coming down on those involved with condominium production in particular, I think it'd be helpful for the the listening audience to know more about that because there is conversation in our community about why more for sale, particularly condominium projects are not coming through. And I think many are not aware of the financial vulnerabilities involved. Could you talk to us? Yeah, it's it's just unfortunately, it's very high liability. And and unfortunately, there is an industry out there right now that that uh, practices suing any any architect, owner, contractor who's done a condominium project of greater than 10 units, it's, it's almost automatic. Um, and so the costs for everybody go up, and there's developers just don't want to assume that that is where they're going to be. I mean, we struggle with it on a regular basis doing projects, and and it's hard because you want to do you want to do a good project, and you and you put everything into it, and ultimately it doesn't really matter. You get sued anyway, so that's a problem. Um, I don't know if it's ever going to be fixed necessarily, um, uh, but it does it does add to the cost of housing and it also basically puts a damper on developers who are inclined to build for sale housing mm-hmm. in any large, you know, any any quantities of any kind. Well, that's both enlightening and quite Depressing, disconcerting yeah. um, and perhaps that answers uh, a very important question that I know is on the minds of many in the community who would like to be able uh, to invest in for sale, especially smaller condominiums. But if we are in this new highly litigious climate, it doesn't seem to be an attractive uh, investment uh, yeah, opportunity and, and compared a, to multi-unit rental, which we started with. The but it's talk. a shame because, you know, we've got interest rates at record lows and, and it's, a, it's a good time for people to buy in a perfect world. But at least for the in the short term, we're not going to see a lot of for sale housing being built. The American Institute of Architects <laughs> and your longtime member uh, participant in that. Tell us about the AIA California chapter's role in in all of this. The housing, state legislation. Uh, is there much of an advocacy there is. Uh, involvement? There is. There's a strong advocacy, and there's been a lot more over the years as I've been involved in it. Um, but but the AIA nationally and at the state level <coughs> um, have a lot of groups 
that are focused on these issues and are in in constant conversation with legislatures. And so I think that's a, a really good thing because we're the ones who are designing the housing units. And so that's important for us to be involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, looking back, but also looking forward, kind of back to the future, um, with your profession, kind of your professional tenure, uh, looking ahead to whenever retirement is for you, what would you like to see happen in Santa Barbara um, for the remainder of your practice years? What would be your wish list? Oh, gosh, that's that's a really good question, Deborah. I would like to see the city really work hard at making the process fair and, and work for applicants and in the process create some incredible housing opportunities that don't exist today, which will transform um, the city of Santa Barbara and really make it a truly sustainable community. Um, we have that opportunity and we've got to grasp it. We've got to go for it and, and all come together to, to make it happen. And I'm confident that we can do that in a balanced way. I think um, it's important for us to continue, as you said, communication is key, uh, for us to recognize these tensions in terms of values, generational tensions, socioeconomic tensions, housing production tensions, uh, but hopefully through all of the forums that are taking place, uh, we can find our way to common ground, as I mentioned earlier, because uh, every age group, every socioeconomic group, those who have been here a long time, those who are recent to Santa Barbara but would like to stay and make a life here, hopefully we can help provide uh, a little more housing for everybody. We are a- say, say hallelujah. Say hello. And thank you, Deborah, for all that you are doing in that regard. Thank you. Well, uh, Brian, it's been terrific. It's been an honor to have you on the show. Again, this is Deborah Schwartz, guest hosting for Guy Rivera on Mortgage Matters. Thank you all for listening today. It's 3.30.